Hello, and welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the official podcast of Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge. God, we pray that your mysterious mystical power work through your words spoken as you work through your words sung. We ask God to open our hearts and our minds again. Illumine the path for our life. Show us purpose and meaning through what we hear. Renew our commitment to following you. In Christ we pray. Amen. I have to say I never heard a sermon preached on this passage in all my childhood. I've heard it most from myself. But it is a powerful passage and we studied it last Wednesday night. I read in a blog from Sigurd Grindheim who asked us to imagine that the Bible went missing. Imagine the Bible somehow got lost and one of us in here was given the responsibility of recording all the activities and lessons, the words, the achievements of Jesus, the Son of God. Or say you stumble upon a race of people on a desert island or something, who speak English, strangely enough, but yet they've never heard about Jesus, never read the Bible. Or perhaps we're to take a poll of Christians here in the 21st century, and they were to ask, answer the question, how does Jesus know? How does Jesus show you that he is the greatest? And think about that for a moment. What would be the first miracle? The first thing you write about. Because that sets the tone, the first impression of what people learn about Jesus. How about this one? Jesus attends a small town wedding and turns water into wine. Is that how you'd start? I'm guessing not especially given the seriousness of our world with hunger and poverty around us and attention and conflicts, the wars, the rumors of wars everywhere, the threat by terrorists, natural disasters, tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes. We might not begin with turning water into wine, but maybe wiping out disease and threats. Maybe we begin with Jesus, the healing of the girl who was thought dead, or the exorcism of the man who was possessed by demons. Maybe those. But probably not begin with more wine for a bunch of party-going inebriated wedding guests, right? Seems like a waste of miracle, especially if it's your, your coming out party your big reveal, the Son of God, right? This is where Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. Where are you staying? Come and see. I stay at the party making wine. That's not how you'd start it, probably. But turning water into wine is how Jesus revealed God's glory 
and showed God's greatness in the Gospel of John. We wonder why it couldn't have been a miracle with better purpose, perhaps. But you know, weddings in those days lasted about a week. Can you imagine a wedding that lasted a week, seven days? And the wine steward, the one who determines what wine is served at what time, the wine steward says, you've saved the best for last. We can imagine that this wedding was near the end, perhaps the sixth day of the wedding. And so they've been drinking for six days straight. Imagine. They probably had enough, wouldn't you say? They didn't have prohibition movement as we did in the turn of the century in the 1900s. They didn't have that. They weren't the teetotalers that many of us are today. Remember, Jesus too had a reputation of being a drunkard, a drunkard, a glutton, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So why does Jesus launch into his ministry? Why does he begin revealing the glory of God through turning water into wine here in the small town? Well, a pretty simple answer is to make people happy. Make people happy. Jesus wants to help us and make us happy. Turn life into a celebration. It's hard to argue against that. We all want that. Lots of ways he could have proved his power or established his identity, but he chooses it by giving us a drink that makes us happy. It's not the picture of Jesus I grew up with, by the way. It's a different Jesus than what many of our religious beliefs have taught us about what Jesus did and what he said. But that shouldn't be new to us because even some Christians back then wanted us to abstain from marriage. True, Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, I wish that those who were married were like those who were not married. And I prefer you not marry. Some people think good Christians shouldn't be too lighthearted, but should be very serious and somber, sober. But how very different the real Jesus is as he comes to a wedding. He decides his first miracle will be to help people enjoy themselves. Now, he's not promoting excessive drinking. We know this because excessive drinking is condemned in Scripture. Proverbs 23 says, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe them with rags. No excessive drinking and also no excessive eating. But it's football season, right? Because they lead to something worse. Laziness and poverty. Jesus isn't condoning excessive drinking, but showing that he is the giver of all good things and wants to make life enjoyable with all these colors that make life interesting and all these different animals. and wants life to be a celebration. But life is not always fun, as you know. Even Jesus cried at the death of his friend. Life was hard back then. Life can be hard today. 
Proverbs 31 is popular, especially during funerals and even weddings, for that passage about the virtuous woman. But the passage preceding that, the beginning of Proverbs 31, says this, Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink, forget their misery. Let them drink and remember their misery no more. Life is full of brokenness, seriousness. There are powers out there that would love to control our attitude about life, make us more serious, frightened. But if we let Jesus, and when we are empty, his miracle is to bring goodness and joy overflowing. In the midst of our emptiness, he brings an intoxicating joy for us. Poverty and misery are not what he wants for those wedding guests, nor for us. Life can be hard. You celebrate when you can. Celebrate the, the occasions that arise. Because too soon the poverty or the misery come. In an argument he had in Mark chapter 2 with the always serious, always sober reverence. He says this, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. But time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. He says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old argument. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the terror worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine bursts the skin. And both the wine and wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. He didn't come to make us miserable or more serious or life more unbearable. Too soon comes poverty, comes misery. We celebrate when we can, when we can't. Well, what does Proverbs 31 say? Jesus came to give abundant life. Abundant life. Isn't that what it says? The thief comes to kill, to steal, destroy. But I come to give you life, abundant life. But some of us see abundance and excess as overindulgence, maybe even sinful. It's truth. Personal experience. I was at a conference at a First Baptist church, big steeple church, one time. The church was big, but it had bare walls, white walls. A ceiling was white and bare, a few old lights hanging from the ceiling. It had your average pulpit, a piano, and an organ. Well, at break time, I walked next door to the Catholic Church. I went inside, took a tour. I hoped it was okay. There were fonts of water at the entrances with blessed water so that you could touch the water to remind yourself of your baptism. Stained glass windows, or pictures of saints, beautifully ornate 
table and arches and columns and blue walls and red walls, gorgeous rose window, stations of the cross for reflection. It was outstanding. While I know we don't have to have these to worship Jesus, we don't have to have any of that, that beauty, that excess, the colors, the symbols. We don't have to, but neither did God have to make so many colors. What was it? Bazillion? I forget. And so many different kinds of people, different kinds of stars and planets and marine life and on and on. We don't have to have all that variety and beauty, the excess, but God loves it. Apparently, God loves that and wants us to enjoy it. Joy. Then I walk back to the, the bare walled Baptist church. We tend to think of abundance and excess as maybe unnecessary, perhaps even immoral. But if you search the Bible for the word abundance or words like that, you'll find that one of God's blessings is that we have abundance. But what if we don't? God is still God even in the bare bones of life. God is still God when we have little. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content, whether in a lot or with a little, to be content. Many of us have experienced that even in a little or when life is hard and not a celebration that God can still lead us and bring goodness from those moments when we've run out of joy. God can turn everything around and give us a never-ending supply. Didn't he teach that all we need is him? Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire other than you. Jesus is all we need. Now why didn't he tell the wedding guests that? Why didn't he quote Psalm 73? Just need me. Why didn't he say, Deny yourselves, turn off that music, pour out that wine, stop dancing, just get by. Get serious. Instead, as it always happens when we're empty, Jesus longs to fill us up. That God can fill us up. Think about Abraham and Sarah, old and barren. And think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, old and barren, empty. And yet God blesses them the miracle of children. God wants to fill our lives. John 2 says we have a generous God and Savior, an extravagant God and Savior who wants good things for us. But he wants to be the source, the source of that goodness. Just as when he was a guest in that small town wedding, there in Galilee, and they ran a little short of wine. He didn't provide just a little wine. He found six of the biggest jars. Jars for worshiping God. And turned 
the water into 150 to 180 gallons of wine, enough to keep that party going for another week. To show us abundance, to show us his ability to make life joyful and a celebration. So when we are empty, we pray. How do we pray when we're empty? Well, I think we pray like Mary did. Wasn't that a prayer? They've run out of wine. That's a prayer. She just tells Jesus the problem. She doesn't tell him how to do it. We don't know what she expects. Probably what she expected was very small compared to what he was about to do. She had no solution. She just says, there's a problem. And perhaps she trusts that Jesus, who is the giver of good things, surely she knows his ability, and trusts him to have a better solution than what she has in mind. Could Mary imagine what Jesus was about to do? I think if she were like us, She'd say, you know, there's one more day. Maybe he'll give them a couple of skins of wine, you know, three or four more gallons. But the answer he gave was more wonderful, more glorious than she could have imagined, that we would have imagined. Brynhelm discovered this to be true, he says, when he was in junior high school. He says, I just started a new school. And as always, in this transition, it was not easy. He said, in my case, it was, it was very difficult because of the kids who picked on me. He says, there was especially one kid who I learned would be very annoying. And he said, I actually hated going to school because of this one kid. He said, my mom and I would pray at night. And my mom wanted to pray with me that this kid and I would become friends. Well, apparently there was a communication problem, he says, because he failed to remind her, I guess, enough to just what a jerk this guy was. He said, I could imagine maybe praying for him to leave me alone and getting my prayer answered that he would just leave me alone. But no, my mom prayed that we would become friends. And so I couldn't object to that. And so I went along with it. And, well, he said, here's how it happened. Not only did he leave me alone, but we became friends. He said, not just friends, very good friends. In fact, he said we would hang out at each other's house after school most days. His prayer was too small. Jesus' answer was more than he could have imagined. They're out of wine. Could you just refill their cups a time or two? No. That's too small. Their cups will run over. Are you empty? You feel like the stone jars in your life? 
Maybe the party ended too early. Mary, if she were here today, she came into this room and she looked around and she looked into our heart. What would she tell Jesus? They've run out of what? It's hard to believe he wants goodness and abundance for us. But if we just tell him our problem, don't give him a solution. Tell him the problem. Because our imagination may be too small. Or we forget that he wants for us an intoxicating joy. So which is it? Why not tell Jesus the problem and then trust in what he can do? Lord, I'm empty of. Lord, I need Jesus, I'm running low on. And then just do whatever he tells you to do. And trust that he is able to do abundantly far, far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Pray with me, please. God, probably some of us in here are empty. We're running low. And you know what that is. You can hear us say it. We can't imagine how much you want to provide. The extent to how you can answer and want. And so we trust you this morning. We trust you to give us your answer. And we will give you praise for the joy and the goodness that you provide. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the official podcast of Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge. For more information about our church, please check us out on Facebook by searching for Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge. You can also find us on YouTube by searching for Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge. We're on Twitter and Instagram as at Broadmoor underscore BC. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you on Sundays.